Welcome to In the Hot Seat with the Tenney Group. I'm Spencer Tenney. It's good to be with you. Today, I have a very exciting guest, someone who's been doing tremendous things in 2022 uh, and probably a lot more to come in 2023 with us, CEO of Ascend, Michael McClary. Michael, welcome to the hot seat. Hey, Spencer. Good, good to see you and a happy new year. Well, thank you to you, sir, and, and, and same to you. Before we heat things up, just tell us a little bit about Ascend uh, and, and what your role is over there. Sure. Um, actually, I'll rewind to give you some background on myself. I've been in transportation for over 30 years, spent a big chunk of that at UPS, holding a variety of positions, uh, um, was the uh, head of strategy, global head of strategy, um, ended up working on the Coyote Logistics acquisition. Post that, went over to Amazon, helped build out the Amazon truckload brokerage business. And while at Amazon, saw this need for these smaller regional truckload businesses to provide higher quality service that just weren't being met and uh, put together an investment thesis with a few other industry vets to go raise some capital and, and build out a new middle mile uh, truckload transportation business. Um, that was back in 2019. Um, we locked arms with a private equity group up in New York called Wellspring Capital. Uh, ran hard at um, our first deal, which was Milan Supply Chain Solutions and, and bought, bought them as the platform um, with the anticipation of uh, building out a, a better network putting some technology to use, leveraging some of the brokerage uh, uh, skills that I've learned over, over the years, um, and, and then uh, acquiring companies in various geographic regions, focusing specifically on that dry van space where we could build density um, and, and create a better mousetrap that uh, results in more hometown time for drivers as well as uh, a better service quality for shippers. So anyway, long story short, um, we knew COVID was going to hit, of course, as everybody else did. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, post that first acquisition coming into 2020, experienced the, all the trials and tribulations that other carriers faced in, uh, um, you know, through that period. Um, but we're able to uh, grow the business, um, solidify the platform, invest in technology, uh, get our core set where we were comfortable with uh, speeding up acquisitions, and then in 2021, really started to hit the accelerator, rebranded under the Ascend name. Um, we've uh, acquired a handful of companies, uh, did one most recently with, with the Tenney Group, uh, a great experience with your team, Spencer. Um, but we're really trying to be pragmatic about where we grow, how we grow, uh, both on the organic front and inorganic front. So maybe that was a long intro, but... Um, uh, just some some background for you and and for everybody else. Well, well, we'll take it and let's just jump right in from there. So l let me just kind of back up to the, you know, how you and I got connected. So um, I don't even know when it was. Maybe 18 months ago. You and I are are, are kind of co-doing a webinar with Workout, and we're talking about driver retention. Now I know that's a big part of your investment thesis in terms of that experience. So how do you think about driver retention, especially in this market? possibly coming into you know, a, a difficult economic climate. What, how do you think about driver retention right now? Yeah, so I think it, it, it's a struggle for the industry. Um, to me, drivers are uh, part of our people-first culture, so we want to take care of every driver 
Um, we're, we over-communicate. We make them part of the family. Um, Workhound was an, we were an early stage Workhound investor uh, and, and, and customer. Um, and we believe in the product because it gives the drivers a voice to come back and uh, uh, tell us where their problems are, which, which I think sometimes get overlooked. Um, in, in terms of uh, drivers themselves, we, in 2019, when we built out the investment thesis, one of the, the big premises was home time. And drivers want flexibility, uh, especially on over-the-road or regular route freight. Um, they don't necessarily like to always be out. Um, and they sometimes need to, to, to pivot and do a different job. So uh, one thing that we do with Over the Road, we run a lot of relays, which hence why we want to piece together lots of different middle mile trucking companies so we can relay freight, leverage our technology. Um, but we also offer a dedicated division. We do uh, a yard hustling. Um, and so we allow our drivers to flex up and down depending on um, their needs. Uh, we had a, a driver recently who called me and said, hey, gosh, I've been running with you guys for 12 years. Um, unfortunately, my wife has cancer and I need to stay home. Uh, but so I need to resign. I said, no, you don't. Um, you know, so we moved him into a yard hustling job close to his house. Um, he's much happier. Um, and, and then you have some drivers who say, I've been running dedicated for five years. I want to get out on the road and I want to see the country. And we offer them that, that ability to flex out into an over-the-road position. Um, so I think being having that creativity, uh, flexibility, friendliness, um, uh, offering lots of different options for drivers keeps them happy, keeps them wanting to come back and, and, and leverage the Ascend brand uh, and, and become part of our family. And, and so that's, that's how we uh, really try to address the, the driver churn issue. Well, I love how it's all interconnected, and a lot of you being able to deliver some of that value depends on building out that network, which you did a very good job in 2022. So tell us about the acquisitions that Ascend completed, and why are you so yeah, excited? Yeah, sure. About it? So we, we bought a company out of uh, Greenville, South Carolina, called Dedicated Transportation Solutions, which is now Ascend Dedicated. Um, they have 18 different sites throughout the U.S. Um, strictly, they run really private fleet. Um, for a, a bunch of big brand names. Um, we like them a lot because their, their geography overlapped with um, uh, uh, our, our existing network. Uh, they have the same principles of us, uh, people first, uh, a very uh, friendly culture that I, I think, you know, culture is one thing that we haven't talked about. Uh, culture kills strategy. You can have two companies with two entirely different cultures and you try to push them together and the antibodies react and, and it doesn't work out that well. So I think when we're looking at acquisition, Spencer, we look at, is there a good fit with the people? Is there a good fit with the geography? And in this case, those dedicated locations uh, had their customers had over the road needs, they had brokered needs. So bringing the rest of the suite of Ascend services uh, and products back back to their customer base allowed us to naturally expand organically. So. So that was the first one, dedicated transportation uh, um, solutions. Um, then we added a company called Fuchs out of uh, uh, Sauk City, Wisconsin. Um, we, we were definitely, we've got a lot of freight coming in and out of the Midwest, not a lot of coverage. Uh, the, the Fuchs network, they've got a great terminal, uh, fantastic maintenance department. Again, people-friendly culture. 
uh, Jay, who's their, their president, he and I hit it off right away. Uh, again, back to that culture is so important when you're looking at, at, at doing acquisitions. And they filled a nice hole in, in, in our network where we needed some additional coverage. We now have a, a nice driver base um, where we, we can pull some of our, we don't always have to would you know potentially deadhead out of an area we've got customer freight that we can uh, service and uh, the more customer freight that we can get the more drop and hook freight we can get the happier our drivers i love that and ditto on jay what yeah, a great guy, guy. Um, um so i think we can agree we're kind of shifting into a a, a new market uh relative to what we've experienced, both from the freight standpoint, but also from an M&A standpoint coming into 2023. So how do you expect this to affect your acquisition strategy or your target kind of pro acquisition profile over the next 12 so months? So if I think about, we want to buy good companies. We're, we're not, uh, there are some firms that are great at buying distressed assets and fixing them and, um, or, or, or um, modifying them to be more profitable. I mean, I really like the notion of you, you take two good companies, you get one plus one equals three. Um, I think we do have somewhat of a reset where uh, earnings are normalizing. Um, so we're, you know, we're willing to pay a fair price. Um, we, we think about operating cash flow rather than EBITDA. I know that's, that's always controversial, but uh, to me, it's how much cash can you generate? And then we think about the synergies and you know, you take a good company and what can we provide them similar to a DTS? Um, you know, we were able to offer them additional products and it's really a partnership. If you find companies that want to partner and they've grown to the levels that they think are, they've kind of maxed out and they're looking for that next step. Um, you know, if they come and partner with us, we together can um, um, find ways to continue to grow and provide better solutions to customers. When I think about 2023, back to the, uh, you know, earnings kind of normalizing, we had a great period in, in 22. I think costs have gone up for everybody, uh, and, and that, that obviously impacts your, your net income. Um, but we're going to continue to be aggressive. I mean, we've, um, you know, we've built a nice war chest, and um, we'll be patient. Uh, we want to find the right deals, again, back to people, culture, uh, G, uh, uh, strategic fit. Um, we've got a formula on how we think that works. Uh, you know, some people might think it's wrong, but um, it works for us. We're very focused um, and we're going to, we want to pay a fair value. Um, and I think that works out for both parties. <clears throat> I, I agree. Now, one of the things that, um, now this is my theory, but I, I think it, it's played out um, that, you know, part of your um, value proposition as a buyer, you and I have discussed, it has in some ways talks about, you know, a, a certainty of close, which is a huge deal for a lot of um, sellers that are um, anxious about getting locked up in a long process that might be uh, a distraction to their primary business. So how, how do you and your team think about when, you know, when you're trying to make your case for Ascend as a, as a buyer, um, you know, you said you're going to be aggressive. This means that you're going to be paying the most. But what are some of the other things that you present? Like, hey, this is what we're about, and what ultimately allows you to differentiate? Yeah, from other we've got a very tight um, diligence process, and then we want to make sure we integrate quickly as well. Um, you know, we're, we're, when when I look at a deal, and I, I've you know I've done M and A all the way back 
to my UPS days, I've seen what works and what doesn't work and uh, seen what works and doesn't work for us. I think it's being fair. Um, you know, if you want to, if you want to get lawyers involved and start with a, a very buyer friendly uh, uh, purchase agreement, it never works out that well. I, you know, we try to go into opportunities and deals on at least on the, the diligence side saying, look, we're going to give you the same employment agreements, the same purchase agreements that we've done with everybody else. We're not going to try to be so buyer centric. It, it should be um, more more seller and buyer friendly. You know, that, that speed to close, that certainty to say, one, we don't have to worry about debt financing. So when we go into a deal, we're, we're pretty comfortable um, with being able to close, which I think is, is, is a differentiator. Um, two, we've got a process. And that, <coughs> excuse me, that process is a 60-day, 90-day window, and we want to tighten that up as much as possible. Because the biggest problem with a deal when you're a seller is doing the deal. You can't work on the business. You can't, you're, you're so busy trying to get reports together and worrying about what one lawyer's saying and the other lawyer's saying. I want it to be a partnership and, and you know, I'd welcome anyone to talk to anyone. We've done it at Jay or Scott, at, at Jay at Fuchs or, or Scott at DTS. And, you know, we really work together to try and, try and find common ground and, and, and make the process as seamless as possible. Um, with us providing a lot more resources, just because uh, our, our head of uh, M&A, he's probably looked at uh, uh, over 100 deals, and he's done a bunch in the, in, in the truckload drive-in space. So, you know, we really want to be supportive and, and make it part of that partnership. Um, so it is, is it is a lot less painful. And, Spencer, I'm sure you've, you've seen some craziness go on in, in the M&A space. Um, well, that's, that's why we stay in the business. It's always entertaining. So, um, well, let, 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 you said something, and I want to. I think this is this could be really interesting for our audience. You said look at 100 deals, and then you cited two that you closed. And so, I think it's really important to understand that that ratio for sellers that want to be acquired, that want to be pursued. Ultimately, a lot of them are going to get passed over. And so, what I'm interested in is like what what advice would you give to sellers that maybe had a pretty good business, but for whatever reason, did not satisfy what you guys looked at as a good company that was kind of, you know, warranted. Yeah, yeah. In deep. I, I, what, what advice would you give to companies that that, that want to be good, that want to be acquired, well, I, I, but maybe I, aren't I, there quite yet? Quite frankly, I for if I'm a seller, I would want to partner with an investment bank that knows the space. So when if if the Tenney Group's bringing me a deal. I think they've probably set reasonable expectations on evaluation. I've I've gone I've looked at deals that have been represented by accountants, and everyone's thinking, oh yeah, six times EBITDA, and you know the the company may do ten million in, in EBITDA, but they got nine million in capex. So I think they're cash flowing a million dollars a year, and, and I may think they're worth five or six million. And the buyer's expectations have been, or I'm sorry, the seller's expectations have been set at six times their EBITDA. So they, they're thinking there were 60. I'm thinking there were six, and they're disappointed when we start to talk value. So I think really working with a firm that, that can help them set, or if I'm a seller, I want to work with someone that can help me set realistic expectations on what is my business worth. That's one. Then two, it's um, uh, what do you want to do? Are you selling the business 
because you're taking chips off the table and you want to walk away, which is okay. And in some cases, if for a platform, that may make a lot of sense. Um, for us, we want to partner. You know, I want someone that's going to help me with their knowledge, and we can take them from a, you know, five or six million dollar EBITDA company to a ten to fifteen million dollar business, and they can they can uh, benefit from our procurement synergies and our knowledge on recruiting and a lot of the things that we I think do pretty well. And together we can get best practices to really, I, I want to grow a business that's going to help shippers, going to help our people uh, and give us more opportunities. So, um, you know, to, to jump in and say, hey, I just want to get out. Okay, that's one thing. To jump in and say, hey, I want to get out and I want to get out at maxim at, and maximize my value on the exit, that's another. It's let's set reasonable expectations as to why am I trying to exit this business? And then what is what is the true value? What do what do we what do we really believe our business is worth that someone can cash flow into if they're going to debt finance and, and pay this thing off? And sometimes there's a disconnect between between a seller's expectation and, and what's what you can really afford to pay for a business. No, I think that's good color, um, and I appreciate that. So um, now remind me, you guys have been growing fast. What's what's the truck count on a sale? Yeah, we're about 1,400 currently. units. Okay. So um, moving into 2023, um, you guys have grown extremely fast since 2019, whenever you guys really started humming. Um as you look across the broader industry, what, what do you see happening um, in terms of the competitive landscape given the current environment? What's it going to, what's, what's, yeah, what, well, what it, we it's expect? hard to tell because uh, no one has that crystal ball. And, you, you know, Spencer, you and I have talked about macro. It's, it's, uh, you know, everyone's got their own opinion. Um, so there's a demand side, <coughs> which I don't think we know. On the supply side, I think that, um, you know, the, the medium size and smaller size carriers are really struggling. Costs have definitely increased. If I look at insurance, driver pay, equipment, asset costs, any vendor, everyone's trying to, to make a little bit more. Um, and, and we've got a disconnect between rates, especially on the spot side going down and costs going up. Um, and it just can't, it's just not sustainable. Uh, we're seeing a lot. We've got an independent mm. contractor program that um, was pretty stagnant in late 21 and 22. And at the end of 22, we've seen this influx of the owner-operators or independent contractors that went out on their own that were making a ton of money. And now they're like, wait a second, I can't make anything. Um, so I think we're going to see some supply move out of the market. And it just needs to. I mean, we've got to firm up rates to, to so everyone can make a little bit of money. Um, so I think we've got some some issues on the cost side and issues on rates just coming down so fast that um, it's just not sustainable for businesses. Um, and what does that mean on the M&A front? I think back to my point on, you know, companies that are in the M&A market will continue to pay a fair market value. We're just seeing that, that, uh, that net income is normalizing back to, uh, 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 you know, pre-pandemic levels. Um, and so on that, that capacity side, I think we'll see capacity come out um, and, and firm up a little bit. And then on the demand side, you know, we're, we're hoping that, um, that 
buyers will continue to buy and supply chains will continue to move, which I think they will. Well, agree. Well, I've got one more wildcard question <laughs> for you, Michael. Uh, one of the things I enjoy, if you, if you don't already follow Michael on LinkedIn, you should. I think he's got all kinds of nuggets here and there from a leadership or what what have you. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious, who would you say um, has – what leader – corporate or otherwise, has, has had a profound influence on your uh, that I mean, that's a loaded question because it, it could go back to, to, to people with, <laughs> that I've worked with in the past um, who I would say are tremendous leaders to uh, um, people back, back in uh, uh, history that ha have really led, led the uh, country through or led different countries or businesses through, through tough periods. Um, so it's har hard for me to really pinpoint one that I could, I could say right now that that one person had the biggest influence on me. Um, if I if I want to be honest, um, throughout my career, I've, I've I've got a leader at UPS that um, I'll probably not not name right here because I don't want to upset anybody else. But uh, they had a real profound impact right. on on my ability to lead and always uh, uh, putting people first, uh, making sure that that people know they're the most important aspect of a business. It's not just numbers. Um, and if any of you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see that I'm constantly referencing back to uh, uh, people and how can we make sure people um, have that flexibility and realize they're important to every aspect of the business. So, um, yeah, I, I hate to just pinpoint it on one person. No, well, hey, listen, I, pre I well, well, no doubt you are certainly – taking that advice and paying it forward uh, because we see it across uh, through your networks of influence and just want to encourage you keep up the great work uh, what you're doing across the supply chain what you're doing from a leadership standpoint it's been a privilege uh, thank you for being on the hot seat sir we will see you next time